0: All right, here is episode number seven. Episode number seven, I think of as the title being Addiction is a Cancer. And I know that that can be triggering for a lot of people. I know that could also be possibly interpreted as offensive because cancer is really serious. But I think that addiction is equally as serious. And for me, framing addiction in the same way that I see cancer completely allowed me to see addicts in my life in a completely different way. So, I just wanted to preface that as you dive into this episode, and also one side note is you might hear some dogs barking cuz my dogs are barking in the middle of it. So, in the middle of recording this episode and we couldn't edit it out. So don't think that you're crazy, but do you know that I keep it real and if you've got dogs in the background barking, well, so be it. So is his podcast life. But enjoy this episode. I can't wait to hear how It impacts your way of thinking and your relationships with addicts and to honestly hear your stories too, because I know that it's important for us to have a dialogue about this. So thanks so much for listening. I can't wait for you to hear it. What's up? Welcome to Faith and Other F Words podcast, where we're all about creating a platform for badass women like you to discuss faith, politics, sex, dating, wellness, money, quantum physics, heaven, hell you name it. No scripture verses, no condemning, no regurgitation of doctrine. I'm your host, Tanya Martin. I'm a corporate hustler, wellness coach, and honestly, just a girl tired of seeing faith misappropriated. So let's change that. Think of us sitting on my couch drinking wine having those deep raw intellectual combos only have with your closest smartest girlfriends believe me i'm still trying to figure it out too but at the end of the day i know it's these combos that bring us closer to discovering and fulfilling the freaking purpose god's placed into your soul you ready to drop some f words let's go oh man this is a topic that i have been Both wanting to share, but also really hesitant about sharing it because one, it's such a personal experience for me, but I also know that it's so controversial. And that is about addiction. So I will just be straight up and honest with you and tell you because I have no shame and no guilt and no embarrassment about this. My brother is an addict. He is actually addicted to meth. And I'm sure there's some other things that I don't even know about. But he, for my, pretty much my entire life has struggled with addiction and, you know, all of the beautiful criminal elements that can accompany addiction. Um, he's relapsed my entire life and it's just part of the identity that I've associated with having a brother. And growing up, I was incredibly embarrassed about it. Growing up in a Catholic family, I'm Mexican and Spanish and Mexican culture, he's my half-brother, Mexican culture, which is on my mom's side, is not understanding. This is a stereotypical statement, I'm aware, but from my experience, Hispanic culture is predominantly not understanding, not supportive, and not up to current methods and trends in treating addiction and if anything, I think makes it worse. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilting in it. So my experience growing up with my brother was like, ugh, gross. Like I have an addict. Like he's such a loser. He's the black sheep of the family. And it was kind of this thing that I didn't want to talk about. And I remember being on a retreat for school senior year, and we were talking about our family dynamics. I went to Catholic school, right? So um, it was like getting in touch with God. And we were all talking about our issues and our problems as you do on retreats. And I just remember bursting into tears and I can't remember exactly what the prompt was, but I just had such a heavy load about the fact that I really love my brother. We're actually born on the same day. He's a wonderful human being. He's so intelligent. He's so articulate. He's so funny. He's so goofy. He has all these wonderful qualities, but all I could see for so long was He was an addict, and I was so embarrassed and so sad by it. And even now, like talking about it, it makes me emotional because it's so sad to have somebody that you love, whether it's a family member or a friend, be an addict because there's nothing that you can do to save them. It's an illness that is solely dependent on them and their willingness to receive help. And it's such a difficult thing to be. A family member or friend, because so often we enable addicts because of shame and guilt. And like it just makes it this like ugly thing. And so it's really, really hard. But I remember just the weight of that. And eventually I was able to draw healthy boundaries and, you know, tell my mom, I can't be a continuous part of his journey if he's going to continue to use. If you want to keep enabling him, if you want to keep helping him, if you want to keep doing whatever you want to do, that's fine. But emotionally, I can no longer invest. And I was going off to college, so it was the perfect time to kind of Take a break from that emotional and psychological burden that I had carried all the way up until that point. And when I got to college, I was able to have a nice break from it and not feel like I had to one, be in the same living quarters or be worried about it. It was just like I could go and be free. And that allowed me to understand that I had to draw healthy boundaries with an addict. And even though I love him and he was all these things, I had to understand that that was his journey to take and not mine to like emotionally and psychologically and even physically bare. But to me, I think of it like this. A lot of the times when somebody relapses, we get mad at them. Or when they actually choose to go to rehab, we tend to, as a society, have thoughts of, oh, it's about time you decided to go to rehab. Or are you sure that you're actually going to do it this time? Can I get an amen if you've ever said that? Oopsies. I know my family's been guilty of it. I know I've had emotions like that before. But if you think about it in like a cancer term, if your loved one had cancer and they had decided to go to chemo, nobody would ever say, well, it's about damn time you went to chemo. Nobody would say, are you sure you want to do chemo? Are you sure you really want to cure your cancer? Right? We would never say that to anybody. That's rude and mean and cold hearted. But yet, when it comes to addiction, because it's not an illness that a doctor can run a lab test on and it you know, it has a biogenetic marker that you can see under a microscope. It's not like an infectious disease, we don't see it the same. And I really, really want to get this across that addiction is 1,000 percent an illness. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, "Man, I really wish I could be addicted to cocaine." right? Nobody wakes up thinking, I would love to be an addict. I'm so excited about it. I'm so happy. I'm disappointing all my friends and family and breaking their heart for the 18th time while I borrow their money, have no job, like am a complete failure. Yeah, this is a great life. Think about it. Nobody consciously chooses that life the same way that nobody would consciously choose to have cancer or have any other type of disease. So if you are on the side of having a loved one who's struggling with addiction, I would love for you to Really capture that sentiment and try to approach it as if they had cancer. So next time they relapse, next time they lie to you, next time they hurt your feelings, it's not them. It's not the person that you love. It's actually the disease. The same way that when someone's going through chemo and maybe they're, you know, low energy and they're fatigued and they're cranky and they, they might be snappy or moody, you wouldn't take it personally. You would know that they're going through treatment, that they're going through their journey. And the best thing that you can do is love and support them and ask them, hey, how are you doing? Or how about, I love you. I'm so sorry that you're going through this, but I just want you to know that I love you no matter what. And I totally understand that you're going through something really difficult. Do you know how important that is for somebody going through addiction to hear And I'll tell you why, okay? So to me, addiction is a mental illness. And most of us have tools in our toolbox so that we can deal with stress, anxiety, depression in healthy ways, right? We all experience stress. We all experience some sort of anxiety. We've all experienced depression as an emotion in some way, shape, or form. People who struggle with addiction have some sort of PTSD, right? Often these individuals are suffering from some kind of trauma that they've had either as a child or over the course of their entire lifetime that they've been struggling with something mentally and they didn't have the tools and they weren't shown how to properly deal with those emotions or with the traumas that they've had. And then it manifests into escape right? Some of us have addiction with television, sex, food, sugar. We have our own things, right? Have you ever gone home and had a glass of wine because you had a stressful day? I'm sorry, you are numbing out. You are not (laughs) dealing with your emotions properly. However, one glass of wine is not going to be the same as a heavy drug, right? And you may have the tools to go, okay, I had one glass of wine or two, or I don't know how many you're having. Maybe it's more than that. And you're functioning enough because you have the tools in your toolbox to pick yourself back up. But people who have mental illness and are struggling with some sort of addiction don't have the tools in their toolbox to have that type of self awareness or that self restraint or that self correction. And a lot of that also goes back to how we were raised in terms of needing connection, needing engagement. You'll find in my personal experience, what I've found is a lot of people who suffer from addiction have issues with how they were raised or a significant trauma that happened in their life. And they didn't know how to be vulnerable enough to seek out more connection or more engagement because perhaps they were brought up in a way that It was shameful to be vulnerable. It was shameful to show emotion. It was shameful to cry or to ask for help. You always had to be strong or you had to be the man or you had to you know, be a big girl or whatever it was. And maybe they were guilted into being a certain way and behaving a certain way instead of having the open door to just have pure raw emotion and pure engagement. Or maybe they had... A caregiver who was cold and didn't go there with them, or maybe the caregiver themselves had addiction issues. And so they're mimicking the behaviors and the habits and the problem solving skills emotionally. And they're mimicking what they saw in a parent or a caregiver who had addiction. And then we mirror the things that we've learned, right? So. <sighs> What I'm trying to get out here, this is a very heavy thing. So forgive me for kind of being all over the place, but I want you to understand that mental illness and addiction are not just a black and white issue. It's complicated and it's difficult to empathize with somebody who's an addict if you're not an addict. And empathy is one of the hardest things to understand as a human because it causes us. To have to be so self aware and also so in touch with other people's journey and emotions. Because I used to always think this way. Well, if I was in her shoes, I would never do it that way. I would be like upfront about it, I would be confrontational, I would be, you know, just deal with it straight to the point. I would never do that. So, like, I can't understand why she chose to do it that way. That's not empathy. Empathy is thinking, okay if I were her, how would I be feeling given the, the personality that she has, the life stage that she's in, the way that she normally approaches things? If I was in her shoes, how would I feel being her? And then from there, why would I want to do that behavior? Why did I choose to look at it that way? that's more empathetic. It's like seeing it through their eyes, through their journey, that's empathy. And if you've never been an addict or you've never struggled with anything like that, or you've never really sat down and listened to somebody who has addiction, it's really, really difficult to put yourself in their shoes. And it can be very, very, very easy to just say, well, they chose alcohol over our family. Well, they chose drugs over our marriage or over their children or whatever it is but that's not the case you guys nobody ever chooses addiction like that and that's something that is so hard for us to wrap our minds around so perhaps you've lost somebody to addiction maybe physically or psychologically or emotionally maybe you lost them to addiction you have to let it go that it was something they did to you it There's nothing in their heart and in their soul that would ever want to inflict that kind of pain to you. It's not in their human nature. Nobody wants to do that to people they love. So if you've lost somebody to addiction, whether they're in the afterlife or they're still here and you've just lost touch with them, just know that it's exactly as if they were going through chemo or if they were in the hospital unable to be involved in your life and your emotions because they are just fighting the battle that is every single day that has to do with their illness. And if you have somebody who's still currently here and you're in the heart of it, you have to be the person that is empathetic. I don't want to say the bigger person, but you have the luxury of health. You have the luxury of having the tools in your toolbox to be able to deal with somebody else's illness you have that luxury of being able to be the loving and supportive one. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And I'm not saying that's going to happen overnight. And you yourself may have trauma as a result of your loved one's illness. I know for me, there was stuff I had to work through and really be like, wow, this sucks. This is a really hard thing. But at the same time, I was able to bring the knowledge that I had to the rest of our family. And next time my brother had a relapse, we didn't say, oh, you piece of this, blah, blah, blah. Like you're, you've always done this. We knew you were going to fail. Instead, we said, we love you. We want you to get help. If you want to go to rehab, we will do everything in our power to get you there. If you don't, then we can't continue to help you. It's your choice. We love you. We, we think the world of you, but we want to see you get better, and we're not going to enable you by letting you live in the house without a job, without the this or whatever. We had to kind of draw healthy boundaries, and I had to speak to the people enabling my brother and be like, yo, we can't continue to do it this way, and if you want to continue to enable him, I don't want to be a part of it anymore. I'm going to disassociate. God bless you. I love you. You guys figure it out, but I'm not going to partake in enabling somebody to continue down their bad habits. Like the same way I wouldn't give a diabetic, I don't know, a Twix bar when I know they're having a diabetic episode. Like, what are you doing? No, don't give the person sugar if they're diabetic and they're having an episode. Don't give a drug addict money when he's not in rehab. (laughs) Like, hello? This is called manipulation. So, We have the luxury of health to be empathetic and to be loving and supportive the same way that we are loving and supportive back to that cancer chemo situation, right? So if you've got somebody who's in the thick of it and they're going through rehab or they're going through their illness and maybe they're relapsing right now, or you don't know where they are, you haven't spoken to them in a long time. When you do have those conversations with them, come at it where, You're thinking about it through their eyes, not through your experience, not through your emotion, but through their eyes. Do you know how difficult it must be to come to your family after you've been on a binge and show your face and you probably look like crap? You probably have no money. You spent all the money they gave you or the money you had. Like, Do you know how much shame and guilt it must feel to come to your family and have conversations and try to hold your head up high? I wanna cry about it because it's that is so dehumanizing and it must be so difficult to have that illness. I cannot imagine what that must feel like, but it must feel atrocious. It must feel horrific to have that. I don't wanna cry while I record, but just think about that for a moment and how difficult that is for somebody. Nobody wants that, you guys. So if you're in the thick of that, just know that you're not alone. And don't be afraid to talk about this. Don't be afraid to tell people, like, I'm struggling. My so-and-so is going through addiction. I personally like to say my brother has addiction the same way that I would say my whoever has cancer or has lupus or had rheumatoid arthritis or had diabetes. Like, it's an illness. And that, to me, takes away from the shame of it. And the more that we become vulnerable with each other, the more that we talk about this in an open manner, the more that you have no problem talking about your mental illness, that one time that you had a depressive episode or that you have anxiety or that you deal with panic attacks or that you're bipolar or that you're whatever, the more that we can have these conversations, the easier it will be to dissipate shame and guilt as a society, and the easier it will be to build connection and engagement with one another. And guess what? At the end of the day, that magical thing, creator, God guy made us to be in community because at the end of the day, each of our souls crave community. We all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. Nobody wants to do this life alone. But if you're constantly hiding these Things that are shameful and guilty, and like, oh my God, don't tell everybody our, our drama, our mess. Oh, like this facade. This is why our generation is suffering from the highlight reel because we all just want to put up this facade of, oh, my life is so great. Oh, I don't have any issues. Oh, I don't blah, blah, blah. It's bullshit. And we need to stop doing that. If we want to have World, if we want to have a society where we're connected and we're engaged, then it'll make it easier when we are going through those difficult things so that when we do experience trauma, it doesn't become a PTSD, it just becomes a conversation that we're openly having. And I promise you, the more vulnerable you are and the more authentic you are about what's going on with your life, the more enrichment the more fulfillment the deeper connections the bigger community you will have i've never in my entire life shared with somebody about my experience with my brother being an addict or my grandmother being an alcoholic and had anybody shun me or be mean to me or anything if anything i've had better friendships better conversations with strangers. You know, Small talk turns into like, let's learn your life story and be best friends. And then you get to know somebody and you get to see them as a human and you get to go, wow, me too. I know exactly what it's like. And then you get to share your experience and help somebody else get out of what they're going through. And they get to help you do the exact same thing. And that's pretty freaking cool. So this is getting a little bit emotional and it's getting a little bit late. And I I am. this is not the last time I'm going to record a podcast about mental health or about addiction. We're definitely going to dive deeper into this topic, but it was something that was on my heart that I wanted to get off my chest because I know somebody needed to hear this because I know that a lot of the times there's a cornerstone or an intersection of like faith and addiction and illness. And sometimes we find it so difficult to understand how God Could allow these horrific illnesses to exist at the same time that God is so great. And we don't understand this. And a lot of the times, I think this misunderstanding puts a block on our heart in terms of having a relationship with God. But my perspective on it is that illnesses and addictions and these things are not God made, they're human made. These are things that we've created. And it's not God's fault. If anything, it's God's the answer to breaking down those walls, to having those conversations, to having more connection, to having more engagement, to having more meaning to our lives, to our relationships. And I think this type of contrast allows us to have a deeper relationship with God. Because if everything was all rainbows and sunshine all the freaking time, you wouldn't need a creator, you wouldn't need a savior, you wouldn't need a Jesus, right? (laughs) what do you, when everything's great, who needs God? But when shit hits the fan, that's when you get to turn to God and be like, oh yeah, that's right. I've got this amazing creator and this amazing, I don't even know what to call him. Just like this amazing thing that gets to help me with all of this. And When you get to break through that wall and see that it's not a God thing but a human thing and that God's actually the answer to helping you heal from those and having a relationship and willing to be vulnerable and surrender to God to allow you to heal from those things and allow his image and likeness to resonate in your soul, that's where the healing happens. That's where the magic happens. And there's no freaking way that I could have overcome the trauma of having a brother who's an addict and all of the other things and components that go with that and have done it without having God in my corner, without knowing that everything could be awful in my life, but God had my back and I could always turn to him. I could always pray to him. I could always say, help me. Or I could always just know that this life wasn't the only one and that one day it was going to be with God. I'm like, dude, you know what's going on. I trust you. I trust in the process. I trust that everything is going to happen the way that it's supposed to. And guess what? It has, and it will. And yeah, my brother's still an addict. He's going to be an addict for the rest of his life. And he's not a very good recovering addict at the moment either. And that's really difficult for me. But I know that having this relationship with God and having a God-like relationship with humans is the key to my healing and the key to my connection. Because if I can stay connected, I can stay in community, I can stay fulfilled and purposeful with other humans, then everything's going to be okay. So don't hide your struggle. Don't hide your addiction. Don't hide in shame. Don't hide in guilt. Feel free to talk about the fact that you've got an addict. Feel free that you are an addict. Feel free to tell your story and tell your journey because somebody out there needs To hear your story so that they can have the courage to tell theirs. And then we have an amazing connection. We have an amazing society. We're not having gun violence and we're not having mental illness turn into psychopaths. We can stop these tragic events from occurring and we can start to create a humanity that we've always dreamed of, a humanity that we wanna be a part of. But it starts with us. If you wanna change the world, change yourself. If you wanna change the mental health struggle, One, start with yourself. Second, let's be open about it. Let's have real conversations. Let's be real humans. Let's not live in this Instagram highlight reel. Yeah? You with me? I feel it. I feel like you're with me. All right. Well, I want you to come find me on Instagram. It's at Tata Conkers. And also to share this episode with somebody. Because I know that there's a lot of people who need this sentiment. I know it was a little tough lovey. Got a little emotional there for a bit. But I know someone needs this. So go out there, be vulnerable. I want to know your story. If this resonated with you, if you've never told anybody your addiction story, whether it's you're the addict or someone in your life is an addict, I want to hear about it. I want to be that first ear and that first human heart that receives it warmly and vulnerably and authentically and to just love and support you. So, Hey, let's, let's have a conversation about addiction. Yeah. Go out there and be brave about it, girl. I'll talk to you later.